0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host Steve Malk and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as a 30-something year old with a penchant for silliness, folk music and mashed potato. I write stories and sing tunes quite often. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans at Twitter list, Katie Wallace. Hello. Katie, hello. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Um, I introduce myself by saying, hello, I'm Katie. And then it generally gets a bit awkward because (laughs) when um, people want to know what you do, it's very hard for me to describe what I've been doing with my life for the last seven to ten years because I've done lots of different and weird things, none of which can probably be described as a career.
0: If you had to encapsulate that that life, particularly mm. the last bit, what would you say is, is like tax return? You have to put something down. Mm. What do you put down?
1: Uh, so when I'm going in and out of airports, I generally put writer. Mm. Um, the last semi-normal thing I did was write a book. Mm. But then the last two years I've been living and working in Africa doing all sorts of things oh, so.
0: <laughs> blessing the rain and sometimes i write <laughs> sometimes i write sometimes i write a thing or two yeah. that, that's no small achievement in and of itself to have a, you know a book that you've written be published mhm like it, it, that for you is that that i have a book inside me i have to get out
1: yeah it was it was years of of living a really silly life compared to anyone else that i saw and um and and so I'd, I'd travel and, you know, I basically would work to travel for the last 10 years of my life and sure. I'd go away and I'd write these big group emails um, because I didn't have the technical capabilities to do things like blogging. So yeah. I was circa 2001, writing emails to you know 9,000 people on a mailing list and people said, you really need to write a book. And I guess enough people said it that I started to think it might be something I should do. Mm. And, um, yeah, so a few years ago I, I took a year away from life and – Turns out there was a book inside
0: of me. (laughs) And I made my millions and the rest is history. That's
1: right. And now I'm a lady of
0: leisure at 35. (laughs) On the talk circuit. That's right. Got my own chat show right after Dr. Oz. That's
1: right. Yeah.
0: None of that is true.
1: No, not at all. Not at all. I sold what could only be considered a fairly mediocre number of books. <laughs> <laughs> but um but it was enough to feed and clothe me for a good solid 6 months there, I think. Mm. Uh, uh you know, getting about um living out of the back of a station wagon in between boxes of books. And um yeah, and and it turns out p- there were a number of people that weren't family and friends who purchased my book, and and I hopefully got some laughs and some tears and and a bit a bit of a good time out of it.
0: Well, it, it, I have to say, as someone who has read the book, <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. But then I also feature in it, yeah. So that's just my ego more than anything yeah. else.
1: Yeah. It's, it is easier to enjoy a book with your own name in it. I oh, that's agree. Great. That yeah. was me.
0: She said yeah. that about me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. i have to talk to about that later. <laughs> she called me a musician. <laughs> <laughs> Allegations. That, Look, my lawyers will be talking to yeah, you. Yeah, that never happens. Not once. Mm. Katie, what are you passionate about?
1: Um, I'm passionate about simple living. Mm. Um, At the moment, having just lived in Zambia for nearly two years, coming back to Australia and fighting all of the fights of life, trying to figure out how to keep my life manageable. I'm down to um, just owning enough stuff. I guess I can move my whole life around in a car and I'd like to keep it that way. I'd like to keep my life small and simple um, in the midst of the craziness of Australia. Mm. So at the moment, that's probably what I'm chasing the hardest. and, And second to that, I guess, is the idea of... Of a more just world, uh, to live in a world that's more just, and and for me, living simply is a is a big part of that.
0: By, like in in living simply, a lot of people would have their own understanding of what that means. You know, like, oh no, I I eat organically. Yeah, that's, that's really simple for me. Yeah. I've is, eaten... is it that or is it something a little bit more complex? <laughs>
1: well, I've eaten four donuts in the last 12 hours, yes! so it's certainly got nothing to do with living organically. Um, <laughs> and I just loved every single mouthful of that
0: experience. Um,
1: you have yeah. the best
0: excuse in the world, though. <laughs> Africa. I've yeah. been in Africa for two years, yeah, and not like you know Cape Town, you know, city stuff. Yeah, I'm living in villages.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's been a significant no, donut, donut drought, <laughs> yeah, in my world, <laughs> and so I'm playing catch up a little bit. Um, living simply for me, I guess it just means being really aware of not buying crap I don't need, mm-hmm. and and that it's okay to have like a phone that you know is a little bit older than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. It's okay. At the moment, I just have three pairs of pants on high rotation. Nice, and that's and that seems to be doing me just fine. And and the less I think about, and the less I do things like going to malls and shopping centers, then it's mm. not really a big deal. I don't really think about it when I don't put myself in those positions. So that's sure. kind of what living simply is. It's and it's never it's not about judging what other people do. It's just that that's my state of comfort is to have. Yeah. To have less um, and to yeah and to if I you know get real jobs and make a bit of money is to perhaps use my money for experiential things rather than physical things
0: so you're not lining up for the new iPhone 7 or anything
1: (laughs) I've never owned an iPhone yet I'm probably the one person the only person that I know that has never owned an iPhone we'll
0: have to find your (laughs) hand yeah come on Katie (laughs) Um, it's like the stuff that you speak about in that regard, I would imagine is drawn very heavily from your experience in Africa, and and you mentioned before your desire to see a just world, justice, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm. happen in a physical reality yeah. uh, in, in modern society. How how does that then challenge you? If if it's okay, we'll talk about Africa in a second. Mm. But how does that challenge you now as a person who's trying to live? this just existence, and I don't mean just, but a real tangible... Um, I'm not even sure if ethical is the right way to put it, but but someone who wants to be um, authentic about
1: Yeah, that. I mean, it's a huge challenge because I fail at it every minute of the day and and being a person with ideals, um, you know, it doesn't mean that you get it right all the time mm-hmm. and, and I certainly fail at it and I hate... I guess I hate this idea of, oh, I've been to Africa and everything's so simple and everyone's so happy and I have mm. to now do that in Australia because it's nowhere near as, as simple as that. And for me, I saw, I saw a simple life, but I saw a lot of people, you know, struggling with no education and no yeah. healthcare. And, and so that's that's certainly not the life I want for myself. That's not the just life. Mm. So just saying I'm living simply doesn't mean that all of that stuff goes away. Sure. Um, so I think the challenge of it for me is I just yeah I just had a I had a problem in my twenties with buying crap to try and make myself happy and um, and so the challenge every day for me is just remembering oh I wasn't that happy in my twenties mm. when I had lots and lots of stuff and and I am happier now but but you have to daily remind yourself of that when you you know immersed back in this weird culture that we live in in Australia and it seems so trite to even have this mm. conversation you know because everyone everyone knows that stuff to be true mm. and and we're all wrestling with it to some degree so yeah that's my little my little part of the story is just to just to own not very many things and yep. see how that pans out
0: it's and uh, i i appreciate your self-deprecation around that um, I've you're, you're an interesting riddle to me Wallace and I really <laughs> like it because you're someone who um, I've seen hold, hold court uh, you know, hold an audience's attention um, over a story whether it's about 100 million pairs of shoes or uh, you know some time in Africa and experience there uh, or relationship or whatever mm. and you know the proverbial pin drop that can come from that uh, and I've also seen you, um, be someone who openly talks about the struggle in these things that you want to achieve or, or, reflect in your life. Um, but you go a long way down that path in doing that. Whereas a lot of people outside yourself talk the same talk, but don't back it up. They're not walking that walk, um, So, to one end, I don't know why I'm now lecturing you about (laughs) this. Tell me about my life, Steve. please. (laughs) Totally the reverse of what this podcast is about. I guess I wanted to encourage you, you know, in Mm. that I I look to you and see someone who is an encourager and an inspiration acknowledging, you know, the human frailty and failure Mm. of trying to achieve these things. But if you don't take a step down the path, then you're not really doing it. Mm. You know, you're not really trying to see... I think it was Mother Teresa, be the change you want to see in the world. And that's what I see in you and how you're living your life, is acknowledging these are the things... Because you said it before, this is me and I'm not judging anyone. And that's totally kosher. Mm. Um, that's that's it though. That mm. it is about... I, if, if other people want to talk to me and engage with that, that's great. Mm. But this is how I'm going to live my life. Mm. And that's, that's a huge step in a consumeristic, I have to have the new iPhone... You know, sure, shoes won't help you sleep better at night, but if you have enough on them, they'll keep them warm, keep Mm. you warm, you know, Mm. that kind of thing.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, thank you. That's a very kind and encouraging thing to hear. Yeah, it's... I'm just trying. Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: If people haven't caught up, we obviously have a shared background and and history. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done a lot of stuff in bands and hanging out and and those kinds of things in the past. Um, For you, music has been a very public privateness for you in that the songs you write reflect close stories and and also acknowledge the world around you and those sorts of things Mm. why where did music come from for you?
1: Mm, I guess uh, music came from my family at the outset Mm. I grew up in a family I mean my grandmother and my mother um, you know taught me and my sisters and my cousins to all sing in you know, four-part harmony from when we were really little. It. And so we did some fairly elaborate Christmas concerts <laughs> as, as cousins. Um, a very moving rendition of, of Michael Jackson's Heal the World comes to <laughs> mind when we were having a particularly justice-oriented Christmas pageant um, with the cousins. And, and so firstly, I just have grown up with music, but um. I guess as an adult, for me it just became the most appealing way to tell stories because mm. i'm a storyteller at heart and um and and for me yeah song was the only way i felt like i could breathe through some of the experiences that i'd had to put things to melody um and to add that extra dimension to <coughs> to the stories that i wanted to tell um and so that took some good friends, and you were one of those people because um, I come with a set of skills, but I don't come with a complete set of skills mm. um, to do that. And so <clears throat> I just adopted the old philosophy of surrounding myself with people that are a lot more talented than I am. And, um, and, <laughs> and you somehow got a look in, yeah. <laughs> Base <laughs> players are hard to come by. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, and by doing that, I think, you know, we did some stuff that I'm really proud of um, and... Yeah, and that so that's I've always needed people to come alongside to help achieve um, the objectives that I've set for myself.
0: In 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 writing that music, storytellers full stop need some I guess the experience in the background. They need to have done things to be able to reflect on and write about it for for the truth in their lives. Mm. Um, and for you, that's meant going to Africa. That's meant touring around canada and america and australia singing songs and telling stories and those mm-hmm. sorts of things um as well as just living the life of katie wallace mm-hmm. um is there is there a story particularly that stands out that became a song for you that was or that you reflect on now that is is kind of ludicrous or important or
1: um, oh, there's just so many. There's so many people I've met who have just been a significant part in my worldview as it exists now. Mm. The first sort of justice song that I ever wrote um, is probably the one that comes to mind because I remember I wrote some lyrics before I'd even been to the developing world mm. and just this idea of, um, I'm going to meet people that every night go to sleep under the same sky as I go to sleep under, and mm. it's only by pure chance that my life looks vastly different to theirs. And I remember just writing down a little bit of poetry before I first went to Zambia, and then going and having this experience and being completely blown away by what yeah. I saw, which is often the case when people go to the developing world for the first time. And, um, yeah, and and that that um, that sort of bit of poetry combined with that experience combined with coming home and feeling suffocated and, and feeling like I needed to do something so I could breathe in the world mm-hmm. again um, became the, the sort of title track of the first EP that um, that I recorded with this little group of people before we became a real band, and it was called Contemplating a Change. And and the, it was my life was as simple as that, as I was living one way, mm. and I had an experience, and it forced me to contemplate a change in the way I lived and and the way I um, used thing, you know, use the resources I had in my life. Is that sort of ish what you mean? Okay. I mean, specific people and specific yeah. stories are all a part of that, um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, that's Dig- to- that's yeah. a totally
0: fine answer. I mean, mm. it, you have such a broad array of, of songs and stories in that regard. Um, and I know from firsthand experience that some of them are born of silliness and some of them mm. are born of, of pain and some of them are born of just, like, situations I would never, A, have thought of being in and B, never thought of writing a song about. Mm.
1: Um. Yeah, I guess it's it's a bit weird, the thought of sitting in a brothel in the Philippines mm. and in the midst of just filth and horrific nightmares of young girls and thinking, oh, there might be a beautiful melody that we could, yes. you know, we could write. It is, it is a strange, mm. yeah, contradiction, I guess. Um, yeah, and I don't know why that happens for me, but I have found myself in in the darkest of situations and, and meeting, you know, people whose lives are just horrific, um, in my understanding of what a life should look like. Mm. And yeah. And for some reason, wanting to sing something beautiful into that situation. Um, I often talk when I talk to people about, you know, when we would do gigs and, and things like that. And, um, you know, just this very simple idea that we can all do something. And if the thing that I can do, is try and make something beautiful out of something horrific. That's enough if that's the thing I can do Um, and that everyone has a little thing like that um, that they can do. Yeah. And then sometimes you're in a backpackers and the guy on the top bunk is naked and comes down the ladder and that's an entirely different song that you get to write, you know, featuring a ukulele or something like that. And that's, and that's the stupidness of the life that I've lived is Mm. from, from one extreme to the other.
0: And that's the gift of the storyteller though, isn't it? Just taking those, those moments Mm. and, and packaging them up in a way that helps us, Remember the the beauty, the inanity, the horror yeah of, of life, and yeah. challenging us to do something about it,
1: yeah, my goal at all times is to make people um, laugh and cry in the same sentence, and if i <laughs> if I can achieve that 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 makes my heart happier than anyone will ever know um, is that is to for all of us to experience the whole spectrum of human emotion in as short a time <laughs> as possible, I find that to be. I don't know, that's a wonderful challenge for me when I get the privilege of talking to people or singing at people or... Yeah. Yeah.
0: How, how did you connect? I mean, of all of the places in the world to connect with, there's lots of developing nations, there's lots of places hmm. that need, you know, light shine on them and, and support from the first world and those sorts of things. But how did you connect with Africa? that first time.
1: Yeah. Um so I guess I was I was part of a church and my youth worker at the time was taking a group of people um on a trip and I was in a band at the time fairly sure that I was minutes away from becoming oh, very famous. Definitely. I mean, yeah, we we were playing, you know, gigs in primary school halls and <laughs> and, and um so all the big places And yeah, nothing nothing says you're about to break quite like a folk band playing in like a metal competition in a primary school hall (laughs) down the road from, from your, you know, where your best mate lives. Um, and so I hesitated to do this trip because, you know, poverty didn't really, the developing world didn't really fit in with, Mm. yeah, with the ideal I had for my life. And, and a series of, you know, events happened that you can read about in my book, which meant I ended up going on that trip. Um, and, yeah, so I was basically just cajoled into it by a bunch <laughs> of friends and, and someone else going and someone else mysteriously paying for me to be yeah. there. And, um and yeah, and so I had just this three-week experience that, yeah, quite, quite literally changed everything about who I was and how I wanted to live my life. <clears throat> and so then the music I was writing changed a little bit and yep. we played in less primary schools, <laughs> 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 although still in a significant number of, of you know, places – uh, that weren't the best music venues I've ever been in, um, but yeah, the the purpose of music changed for me at that point as well. It became far less about you know trying to write catchy pop songs about a love I had never experienced, mm. um, to writing music about things that you know just gripped my heart and my attention, yeah. um, in a way that nothing else had before.
0: I mean, let's be fair, you've played in some pretty glamorous places too. <laughs> yes. um, I can think of one gig where we were performing at a community festival and a dog show broke out in front of us. Yeah. In front of us. Yeah. During the during the gig.
1: I remember particularly that gig. Just, it was the worst experience and I thought in the mid I don't remember what song it was, but I thought, <laughs> I'm just going to close my eyes and sing this song. and mid, And I just kept my eyes closed, you know, so that the dozen or so people watching us, you know, <laughs> so that I didn't have to see their faces. Dozen or so. And then, um, I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's be honest, it was just Matt's mum and grandma. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I remember having my eyes closed and... About halfway through the song, all of a sudden this applause broke out and I thought, oh, hallelujah, we've got them. They're understanding what's happening. And so I opened my eyes and, yeah, and I saw that, like, some labradoodle had just done an elaborate walk-by in, in front of the stage and, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the calibre of musician I am, but let's be honest... Let's be honest, there's, you know, when a a dog show broke out at one of our gigs and really stole the limelight, that was, I mean, that was when we knew we'd really made it in the western suburbs of Brisbane.
0: Yeah, we were expecting to walk off to an album deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There is no more grounding opportunity. People... Uh, who are in bands particularly will reflect on this even people that enjoy going to see live music you know you, you will see some shocking gigs in your life yeah whether it's the band on stage aren't not great or the venue maybe just doesn't get it or, or whatever it's just not the right fit yeah uh, or the audience are distracted or doing whatever everybody has bad gigs yeah Um, and I, I I think that look to be frank it's you work through those number of bad gigs till you get to the good gigs yeah we're still getting there yeah <laughs> You still got some bad gigs to go. I was waiting for a happier ending to that story, but no, I think you might be right. <laughs> so, because it all then forms a part of the rich history, yeah, of your musical journey, Katie. So oh, yeah. When you do write your tell-all biography, yeah, or sorry, autobiography about well, this and then and the, the dog show happened, yeah, and then we played at the thing and the stuff. Yeah, that's... I mean, we make light of it, but you've also had the chance to play um, in a, a, a like a for lack of a better phrase, a soup kitchen for homeless people. Yeah. And perform for them. Yeah. Um, and while no dog show broke out, yeah. you certainly had the opportunity to talk to some of those people who were super appreciative um, in, in that kind of context. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, so many experiences I've had where we've walked into a gig thinking we're just a little bit better than this experience mm. and having that real ego trip going on and just being completely grounded and and playing the 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 time that you're talking to was you know a humbling experience but in the most beautiful of ways and yeah. um yeah we just didn't want to be there and and uh, you know and i just you know we we thought we were going to get paid and then it turned out That we weren't going to get paid Um, and, you know, we were sort of just tired and we'd been on the road living in a smelly van for just too many weeks in a row and, um, yeah, and we played at this soup kitchen for all these homeless people and, and, um, and, you know, and I thought telling stories about orphans and vulnerable children in Zambia seemed a little inappropriate, but that's that was our gig. That was what mm-hmm. we were doing, and so we just did it. And and then this amazing lady, you know, went up to a friend of mine after the show and, and um, you know, just wearing like a, you know, neon-coloured tracksuit from the 80s <laughs> and just, you know, didn't look like she'd had a shower for... I don't even know how long and, and just said to this friend of mine, I'm so happy that we came tonight because, you know, I needed to hear those stories because my life is just so good compared to you know some of the things that they were talking about there tonight and and this room full of homeless people put their spare change in the jar to pay us so that we could keep doing the work that we were doing and we only made $52 that night but I I still remember it as you know just the most gracious gift uh, from a room full Mm. of people who had nothing because they cared about the people we were talking about you know on the other mm. side of the world and here we were you know just being so so eager man you know eager maniacal in our approach and mm. um and that's i mean that sort of stuff has happened to me time and time again and it needs to happen to me time and time again cuz i seem to not get it you know <laughs> i need yeah. that lesson over and over to be <laughs> to be humbled um about yeah about the life i get to live
0: You've been back to Africa a number of times since that first, fateful three-week trip, yep. Gilligan. Um, <laughs> most recently, you were working in Africa mm. for a feeding project. Yeah, um, what like what, what's a feeding project? I don't. I have no concept of
1: that. Yeah, so I was working in a village, um, a big village of 10,000 people, but about 30% of the population are HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the result of that is the middle-aged demographic is almost entirely missing, which has left a community with a bunch of children wow. um, with no parents, being cared for by elderly grandparents uh, with no income. And so you've got a just... a, a um, as a situation of extreme poverty um, where people just need a little bit of help so mm-hmm. that the next generation can get fed, educated, and hopefully break the cycle for that community. And so I worked for um, an organisation that runs a feeding project for orphans and vulnerable children, mm-hmm. as well as an education component and all the other good stuff that goes along with good development. Um, but yeah, our feeding program was just a really simple setup a bunch of volunteers from the community and some paid staff um, would come and cook uh, every day for about 280 kids that our social workers identified as needing that extra support and kids come into the project every day um, and have their balanced meal and multivitamins and and those that Um, are HIV positive get extra medication Mm -hmm. on top of that Um, and yeah and that's how I spent my days um, you know helping to facilitate all of the logistics around that because it is a bit of a huge deal um, and dealing with international donors and trying to maximise our local finances so that we can hopefully not rely on international support forever Yeah.
0: yeah that's huge dude
1: it was pretty intense. I'm not gonna lie. It was hard. It was hard, but it was beautiful, and it was you know it was life giving and soul lightening work. That's two hundred and
0: eighty sure. kids.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's just from our little village.
0: That's a that's a primary school's worth. Yeah, yeah. It was a little crazy at times.
1: <laughs> Gosh.
0: Yeah. It's my my expectation is that you can't. You can't see that and not be affected by it. Mm. So to live and work in it every day, you must have like the full range of emotions. And I'm just talking, oh, yeah, I'm feeling okay today. Now today's a bit tough. I mean, searing highs to gut crashing lows. Mm. How, do you, how do you manage that?
1: It's really strange how you become accustomed to that being your normal. Mm. And so um, I find that I cry more and I feel more heartbroken when I'm away from that situation than I do when I'm actually in it. I feel yeah. more heartbroken when I'm talking to people in the Western world about my work and that's gen- – I mean, you've seen me mm-hmm. <laughs> I cry uncontrollably on more than one occasion <laughs> telling the stories um, that, that we used to tell. Um, and I think that's because, yeah, when you're in it, that's your normal and when you're away from it, you just see the difference so much more clearly. When I'm looking out at it, a room of – you know, well-dressed, educated, healthy people telling these stories. I think that difference is what messes me up. Just that the contrast is what, um, is what breaks me, which is why I find it so hard to live in Australian culture. Um, yeah, I don't know. It is, yeah, I don't know how to explain how I can live in it. Um, I mean, you get broken, but it's a different, it's a different feeling. Um, Mm. Because it's not I think in Australia you know too many people look and and they have a sense of pity or a sense of but but that that's not a helpful emotion to have because we can pity something but keep living our crappy lives yeah. um, but when you're in the midst of it, it's not so much a sense of a pity as it is a sense of I can come alongside and we can do this together and we can fix this together and there are practical things I can do when I'm here to help you get fed and to help you get out of that abusive situation. And um, so I think it's a much more uplifting experience to be in the midst of it sometimes.
0: Thank you for for sharing some of that. I know that that, that given you're back in Australia now, we're not talking... Through the magic of anything, mm. um, that Some of that's pretty tough. Coming back from that experience mm. to be in the the full onness. How good's my English? <laughs> yeah. Um, the intensity <laughs> yeah. of the Western experience. Yeah, can be really quite jarring. Mm. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you, Kato. Mm. What do you like to do with your downtime? How do you how do you spend the the moments of I need headspace.
1: Um the thing I've loved about coming home I've just been home for only about two weeks now but um, the thing I love to do um, to just free my brain up is go for nice long walks and bike rides and mm. getting back on my bicycle has been just awesome I don't since understand being home so I've just been for a nice a nice long two hour bike ride up and down the river this morning in Brisbane mm. and uh, yeah that's just That's perfection to me, having space and time to do things like that. That's definitely how I love my downtime. I also consume an inordinate amount of trashy TV. So I'm just playing catch-up on Australian Survivor at the moment. Excellent. (laughs) So I've got hours and hours in front of me. Um, So, yeah, a a bit of crappy TV also um, fills out my diet Mm. um, of of downtime. That would be the two major things probably, getting outside and then – being inside watching T V.
0: Have you did you ever get into the Real Housewives franchises? No, I've name? never have. Sister, you on Trashy TV. Oh, <laughs> we need to talk. <laughs> It's amazing. There's
1: decades because there's like 9,000 of them, right? Well, there is,
0: but if you just focus on the ones below the equator, mm-hmm. there's three seasons of Melbourne. Okay. Uh, Auckland is halfway through its first season, and next year we've got Sydney coming. Yeah. Let me introduce you to look, I think we're totaling about 20 of the most abhorrent women you'll ever meet. <laughs>
1: I'm it's not amazing. so sure how my brain at this current juncture <laughs> would. <laughs> Speaking of the contradiction <laughs> between where, where I've been and where I am, that might it would be. would snap. I'm sure my psychologist <laughs> would. <laughs>
0: Advise against. Yeah, don't do any of that. What you mentioned, donuts are a fascination in mm. all of their forms—the round ones, the long mm-hmm. ones, the, all of the goodness mm-hmm. they are. What what is your go-to? If if we said Katie, we're going to lunch. What do you want to have, junk food wise?
1: Oh, so one of the weirdest things about me is I always have to have savory and sweet mm. together. I cannot eat a savory meal without something sweet at the end, even if it's just one piece of chocolate sure um so for the savory oh gosh it's really hard i'll i will just demolish a bad food court chinese buffet Mm. in i mean that's that's a real favorite like the crappier the better the quality quality doesn't matter i don't care if it's been sitting there for 16 hours i i a food court Chinese buffet. You have guts
0: of steel. Let's be fair. I do. Back from Africa. I really do. You take on all, or just give it all to me. MSG. Yeah. You know, I'm ready for the the bowel problems.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that'd probably be my go-to. And if we're classing it up a bit, um, mm. which I rarely do, yeah. let's be honest, I don't know. It might actually be the first time I've said that sentence. Um, I'd go a, a nice. Yellow chicken Thai curry Mm. would be a definite go to with coconut rice. Yeah, guaranteed. And then a dessert, if it can be a baked good of some sort, like Mm. I mean, donut is the a classic. But a a donut, a donut king chaser after a Chinese. I'm just. We're actually going to go eat lunch just after Mm. this, and I'm just
0: pondering a bit of the hunger. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Chinese Chinese uh, buffet food court style with a donut chaser. I'm very
0: anti the, the the buffet Chinese food court deals Yeah, that don't let you be creative with the building of the plate. Yeah. Like, fine, I've paid yeah. for the plate. Yeah. But if I've worked out a way, and I have a way to set up my prawn crackers, to, to get sort of... <laughs> Embed them with rice <laughs> to protect them, so that I can then get an inordinately sized plate yeah. of food. Yeah, sorry, buddy. You should that's... be rewarded for that. Yeah, nice kind not of this ingenuity shaky stuff. Yeah, no, that's how it works. You yeah, get, I bought a plate from you. Yeah, I'm having at it. Yeah, I get one go at this. Yeah, I'm gonna make it a good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like that there's some some now that are starting to give you a little paper bag on the side for your spring rolls so you don't have to take up room yeah, in your yeah. box or your plate for your
0: spring rolls. I really appreciate that kind
1: of courtesy.
0: <laughs> it is. Mind you, the the architectural um benefits of a spring roll <laughs> oh, yeah. cannot you can be build un- <laughs> yeah, you can build a bit with it. Oh, the Great Wall of China that comes from that <laughs> is amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of spring rolls with a honey chicken balanced on
0: top. You've got a nice little right. hut, a little Mongolian lamb going on. You're gonna have some different black yeah. bean. Yeah, there's mate, there's and the yeah. pork ribs too. Yeah, particularly if they're sort of reasonably oh, strong,
1: structurally sound. Oh, gosh. Yeah, very good,
0: very. good. It's all of those sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. What can't you tolerate, Kato?
1: Um. Weirdly, the first thing that comes to mind is gum chewing. I can't. I have yes. real, real trouble with people who chew gum. Yeah, for some reason, I think it's a flashback to like when I was in high school, and all the cool kids used to chew mm. gum, and it just in that big open mouth. It later. was, a, yeah, it was just a real status thing that I hated, mm. and now that's all I think of, and I just I don't get it. It's noisy and it's gross and I don't. If you've got decent dental hygiene, you shouldn't have to do it after mm-hmm. uh, gum chewing and and probably pants that don't quite <laughs> meet shoes when people stand up. Oh. I have a little I problem that. with that. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. different
0: if they're like the three quarter leg pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But if we're talking if about it's a full length pant, a full-length pant yeah. and when you stand up and there's a good inch yeah, of let's... sock or bare ankle. Yeah. What are you doing wrong? Yeah, let's have that meet the shoe. And... Please. Yeah. yeah. Or get bigger shoes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Should you be wearing boots with that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've just had to get rid of some chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad. What's the hardest truth that you've had to deliver? Hmm.
1: Hmm. Um that's a tough question. I remember when my <clears throat> grandfather died so many years ago now nearly 20 years ago my dad's dad. Mm. I remember that my uncle phoned um to tell us and mum and dad I wasn't living with my parents at the time um and yeah, and I had to phone my dad to tell him that his dad had died. Oh, wow. I remember having to do that, and I was only seventeen or eighteen at the time. And I remember, um, yeah, that, that was a s- weirdly hard truth. Understandably, uh, yeah, to have to to have to tell my dad. Um, I don't know other. Yeah, I guess I guess that. Mm. Yeah, I've had to tell myself some harder truths, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just uh, yeah. I can't necessarily think of what they would be. Lots of stuff around um, my mum getting sick and dying. I guess mm-hmm. having to tell myself, you know, when every I guess it's like when you grow up in a church, churchy sort of life. And people get really sick. Everyone's go-to is, no, we're going to pray and that's going to go away. Yeah. But in the midst of that, our family started really telling ourselves the truth of, well, no, looks like mum is going to die. But Mm -hmm. having to tell yourself that in the midst of lots of other noise, that was, those weren't great days. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, I mean, I, yeah, that would be tough. Yeah. And I, I remember um, s- some of the back half of that, mm. um, being close to you and your family and, and those sorts of things. Um, I know that she is dearly missed by a lot of people, your mm. mum. Uh, in-, in as much as anything, shush, phone. Um, <laughs> how's that for timing? Um, in-, in as much for who she was and and not just you know, who she was in the rest of her life because that was certainly someone that was, that was bold and brash and, and impacting and full mm. of life. Mm. Um, but that even through the, the last bit, she was still, she'd given it all for people and yeah. just amazing to see someone who is being attacked by mm. this horrid, horrid thing mm. still be happy to want to connect with people and, and to hear them and encourage them is an amazing thing.
1: Yeah, she certainly, certainly the way that my mum died, it was like a masterclass in how to die. <laughs> but, you know, it really was, it was a masterclass in how to do this so that your family can get up and keep living um, mm. when you're gone. Because she, yeah, I mean, unsurprisingly, I'll cry now because it's what I do. But yeah, she, she really was just the greatest um, human I have ever known. And mm lots of people say that about their mum but like it's true when I say it about my mum you know like people say it because it's the thing you're meant to say sure but I mean yeah she truly was she truly was you know just just died with such dignity and grace and still so much love for the world around her and no anger at what life had thrown at her you know it had been a years years long journey and um yeah, and just yeah, just supreme. Just a
0: supreme person. I'm I'm comfortable if you don't have an opinion or mm-hmm. don't want to answer this. If given the nature of your mother's illness mm-hmm. and what went on for her, it was such a degenerative thing, it really did eat away at her. If, if there was assisted dying laws in Australia, do you think that she might have opted for that or like that she would have just played on as she did?
1: I don't think so. I don't... I mean, she had a lot of pain and things like that, but she really did have a still a very good life right up to quite close to when mm. she died. We really only sort of lost mum as I knew her, you know, within the last three or four days before wow. she died. Yep. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because pain is such a, you know, subjective thing yep. Um. that I don't know. To me, she had a lot of pain, but she also had a mother who, you know, just had the most incredible pain tolerance. And so I <laughs> think she inherited, you know, some of that as well. Yep. Um. So I don't think so. I think she really – I don't think she would have, no, because I think she really – just wanted to use every breath she had to love people. And, and that's, I mean, that sounds like such a trying to paint gloss on someone's life, but it's just the truth. Like she really did. She really just wanted to, you know, to, to use every moment that she had to, you know, learn more about loving people better. Yeah and um and that's what she did up until very very close to when she when she passed away
0: yeah thank you dude mm. canny marie wallace what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months
1: oh this is a huge question for mm. me at the moment I can imagine um i'd like to achieve some creativity mm. um i think that some of the stresses of my job and living overseas and the Isolation and the loneliness of that. I haven't written a song in, mm. a, in a year and a half. Wow. I haven't been, um, y- you know, writing, writing either. Um, so I really hope to achieve some creativity. Mm. I'd love to write a one woman show. Um, yep. And yeah, and so there's musings of that happening in the very back of my mind right. as I settle in here. Um, and yeah, and I hope so. I hope to have had a good crack at starting that. Yeah. Um, and just getting back into doing some singing and things. Um, and then I probably hope that in the next 12 months I have somewhat of a job. <laughs> yeah. Because I can survive for a few more months, but I can't survive for another 12 months unless someone starts paying me to do something. Sure. So, yeah. Well, there's think... the ability
0: to get around. That is, you know, I, I know that when you went to Africa, you divested yourself of your car. Not going to need that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm back and I need a car. Yeah. Like it's an unfortunate reality of... Yes. Well, first of all, you've got a car's full of stuff you have to get around and no car. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. So... So I either need to that. get
1: less stuff. I need <laughs> to get a bicycle's worth of stuff because wow, I do yeah. have a bicycle. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. So those, those things have to – I mean, I'd love it in 12 months if I still only had three pairs of pants that I was wearing. Mm. I'd love that, but if I get a job, I might have to buy some – mm. things like corporate clothes and things like that I yeah. just don't even have. So,
0: yeah. You've been in pluggers, like double pluggers, for the past have, two years, right?
1: I have. Yeah, I have.
0: In the most corporate sense. Exc- I've got the black <laughs> ones for the formal events.
1: <laughs> too. I actually upgraded. I got the black ones that had like a little um, – like a pewter plate with the branding on wow. it. Wow! So, you I mean, fashion slave.
0: They were, they were full fancy for
1: for village life.
0: Yeah. And look, it, you got away with it because that little plate doubled as your mirror. Yeah, that's so, right. That's, that's okay. Right.
1: And I could crack nuts on it <laughs> over lunch or yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Katie. Okay, mm. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you've said are very special and you're highly valued, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) No.
1: Okay. No, you're
0: highly valued. No, you are. (laughs) Uh, Well, I can't even say that you're going to tweet occasionally because you don't.
1: No, yeah. I'm probably the most unqualified person to be on this podcast that has ever existed Look,
0: i'm going to shut that down to start with (laughs) because the only prerequisite to be on this podcast is having a twitter account yeah so by having one that admittedly you haven't tweeted in for a couple of years yeah means that's okay yeah i'm actually hoping to interview someone who has a twitter account and has never tweeted yeah that was almost me It was all very almost me. I think, in fact, when I look through your Twitter, I think one of the tweets says, you have to show me how to do this, Malk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I did a great job. Yeah. Um, uh, But I've got that person, the no-tweet person lined up. I look forward to sharing their story. Yeah. Uh, Are there social accounts, websites, things, places where people can buy your book, your, your albums. How can people find the online digital experience? Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm such a technological loser. Like, I've, I got into Facebook, you know, a decade after everyone else, but that's probably where most things happen for yep. me. So it's Katie Marie Wallace, mm-hmm. um, and I do have a website, but it's under construction at the moment. So Mm. if you want to buy my book or anything, you probably need to just message me through Facebook.
0: Books are still available?
1: Books are still available. There's a box down in Sydney with my dad. (laughs) He'd gladly post one to you to free up his his shack down there. (laughs) I'm sure I've got a few floating around uh, somewhere as well. Yeah, if you want a chuckle and a cry and all of that stuff.
0: Oh, I highly recommend it for both of those things. It's a great read, a very fun read. Just be prepared, people. Not a lot of capital letters.
1: No, not a lot.
0: <laughs> that's another podcast, though. That's, that is a whole other podcast. Yeah. This has been Human to Twitter, and I can confirm that at KT Marie Wallace, that's the letter K, the letter T, Marie Wallace, is indeed human.